I talked to you about that prayer, Hashki Venu, it has always fascinated me that some people worry all the time while others worry very little. I feel certain that right here in this sanctuary are a number of us who lie awake night after night, fretting over climate change, the upcoming election, mass shootings, a resurgence of anti-Semitism, homelessness, and a host of other real-world problems. While others of us live and sleep peacefully with hardly any fears at all. Fear is such a powerful emotion. Well-placed fear is the reason we're here today. It has led to our survival. Fear can also be crippling, preventing us from fully embracing life's vast array of wonderful experiences for fear of what could go wrong. This type of fear is portrayed in a humorous manner by Jane Austen in her novel Emma in her character Mr. Woodhouse, who is afraid of everything. Because he knows that you can drown in the ocean or be trampled by a horse, he strives to protect his daughter, Emma, by keeping her close at home all throughout her life. Less humorous are the fears of Holocaust survivors I have met. Not everyone, but if a person grew up in great comfort and neighborliness in Germany or Poland in the 1930s and watched as their neighbor looked away and they were carted to a concentration camp, can we blame them if they spend each day worrying that the same thing will eventually happen again? Parents also worry a great deal about our children's health and well-being, about our children's future, about the choices our children make when we are not with them. I have friends who are really quite relaxed and don't obsess about the awful things that might befall them or their children. They trust in the probability that fears will not be realized and everything will be just fine for us, for our children, for the world. Me, I worry early and often. I keep a rotating list of worries in my head at all times. When someone demonstrates to me that one of my top worries is groundless, no problem, I simply replace it with the next worry on my list. I actually keep an alphabetized list of all my fears. That way, I can better track them. Here it is, this is my journal of all my fears. And if you are so inclined, you are welcome to add more fears to my journal in case there's something I have not yet considered. In this week's Torah portion, we re-listen to the story of the building of the golden calf. Many people know the outline of this story, but fewer know the opening pasuk or verse 
that provides the rationale for such an ill-advised building project. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a god who shall go before us. For that man Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Now, scholars debate the motives of this sordid episode. Nahama Leibowitz asks, how is it conceivable that generations that had witnessed the miracles of Egypt and had scaled the loftiest heights of communion with God should descend to the depth of pagan idolatry and make a calf? Leibowitz goes on to note that Mount Sinai and thou shalt have no other gods but me should still have been ringing in their heads even as Moses was so long in coming down the mountain to them. She concludes that one single religious experience, however profound, is not capable of changing the people from idol worshipers into monotheists. Eitz Chaim commentary agrees, saying the people needed a visible, tangible symbol of God's presence. They had just come out of Egypt where everything, even death, was rendered visible through pyramids and mummies. It was extremely hard for them to grasp the idea that the greatest reality of all is intangible. Throughout Jewish history to this moment in time, adherence to Judaism continue to wrestle with the very notion of a non-corporeal God. And we could have that conversation tonight about this generation's struggle to find faith in a God who does not present in human form. But I find myself drawn to those opening words of the golden calf story. And rather than hear them when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, I think we can hear them when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain. The people gathered against Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a god who shall go before us. For that man Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. We may not relate to biblical ancestors who worship calves or dash blood on altars, but we can sympathize with that sense of fear. They are not living freely and comfortably in their own land. And they are the same people who lived through the tyranny of Egyptian enslavement. Who can blame them for feeling terrified, vulnerable, and alone? In our time, individuals, Jews and otherwise, who have experienced oppression, privation, and violence often act out of fear. But of course, the exercise of building a calf was pointless and did nothing to alleviate fear. So to me, the value of this Torah story is its important reminder that fear is a universal human emotion. 
but there are effective and ineffective ways to manage it. Their response was to embrace the material. We too sometimes erroneously believe that we can quell our fears with more food, more alcohol, and more material purchases. Or we can hide from our fears and deny their existence. Or we can feed those fears and sow more worry throughout the populace. Like the golden calf, none of these is effective. There are things we worry about that are largely out of our control. So one step to fear management is to examine the fear and to simply ask whether or not there is anything to be done. Certainly, if you are worried about the outcome of the presidential election, there is much to be done now. If you worry about BDS and delegitimization of Israel, there is much to be done right now. If you worry about homelessness, hunger, and gun violence, there is much to be done right now. Our Tzedek Council continues to work toward more opportunities for our congregation to respond to these social justice issues as a congregation. But you can volunteer right now. It's all over our website. You do not have to wait. And constructive action does have a way of mitigating fear. Torah juxtaposes two distinct building projects, the construction of the golden calf and the building of the Mishkan, our sacred gathering place. Both are collaborative projects that bring everyone together. But the calf is built out of fear, worry, and a rejection of God. The Mishkan is built out of a desire to find God's presence whenever we come together. In fact, whatever is your modern-day equivalent of that angsty when people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, whatever legitimate fears and worries you carry, synagogue engagement is one of our very best methods of calming and constructively channeling our fears. Each week in this sanctuary, we set our fears aside, we sing, we praise, we express gratitude to the ineffable source of all being. God is not a person or a golden calf, but we find God's oneness and presence in our traditions, in our music, and in our coming together, and in our acts of chesed, or compassion. We are still building. We are building this mishkan, this sacred sanctuary of faith, of hope, and of promise. Amen.